Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. I'm Nick. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers and Nick. And Nick. <laughs> yes, yes. And the fun part about this is that this is going to be another one of our indie dev lounges. And I don't know if we've introduced the show the same way twice. And if I was a listener, I would say... Well, maybe you should go back and listen to some of your older episodes. And I say no. (laughs) But anyway, um, for those who are listening and are deciding to listen to this uh, Indie Dev Lounge, or as we like to refer to it in the the biz as the IDL, if you're listening and uh, are new and you're wondering what an Indie Dev Lounge segment is, is where we, we grab somebody from the indie development community who are working on or have released a indie developed game Um, we like to support small creators as we are a small creator of ourselves so we like to be uh you know uh make sure that our fans and listeners hear about different games they may not normally hear about and perhaps those who know about the game may hear about a podcast that they didn't know about so we welcome uh, nick hauser from abyssal studios uh, and they are currently working on a game called mythic which is coming out soon so nick do you want to kind of give us a short rundown of what mythic is going to be about and then we'll kind of get into a little bit more of the uh, nitty-gritty yeah of course i'd love to basically my two favorite genres of games are mmos and roguelike games and i've been playing both of those for many 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 years since i was a child and i really was looking for a game that combined a lot of aspects of those two genres and it turns out it's pretty hard to find there's maybe one or two things out there that fit the bill but not in the exact way I was looking for. And I decided that if my dream game hasn't already been made, I should be the one to make it. That's that's like what we did with the podcast. If our dream podcast of us talking wasn't made, we decided to make it. I love it. That's great. <laughs> that's how every great like indie project starts, right? It's true. It's true. Out of frustration and vanity. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So um, basically, to get a little bit deeper, you know, it's a lot like other roguelike games that a lot of people have probably played. You're now navigating through some small dungeons, facing monsters, maybe getting incremental rewards every sort of room that you clear out, getting an upgrade for your build or something like that. The twist on it all is that all of this is happening in a shared server with everyone else at the same time. So if you are logged in and someone else is at the same spot you are, you're going to see them, be able to interact with them. You can invite them to a party, solve puzzles with them. There's even ways that you can work against them if you want to by like competing for limited resources or acting traps on them things like that and yeah just trying to combine that aspect of a multiplayer experience with with a roguelike in a way that lets you kind of play with as many people as you want while following the typical roguelike formula that i absolutely love right yeah so for some of our listeners a lot of with the roguelike games are the kind of you're exploring like a dungeon or something or like a cave system or what you're exploring something and there may be situations where you die and you have to go back from the beginning and when you start exploring again it may be something a little different it's a it's a bit harder in a massively multiplayer context obviously because there may be other people in those locations but what we've done is that if you basically if no one has been in a place 
for around 10 minutes, that place will become a brand new place. And we use a bit different procedural generation. I'd like to like talk a bit more yeah. about that. Yeah. Other games, when they say they're procedurally generated, what they mean is they have like 50 levels and then they randomize the order that they show you those levels in. What we do is we are procedurally generating the levels themselves. So we haven't like pre-baked 50 levels and then randomized the order. When you see a new room that's procedurally generated, that has been procedurally generated in a way that's completely unique and you know there are billions of possibilities and then if someone hasn't been in a spot in in 10 minutes and you come to it it's going to be a brand new room that's been procedurally generated for you and then if someone else comes there they're going to see the same room and you'll be in the shared shared space together so it's not as cut and dry as a single player roguelike where every time you die you will always see something new like if someone's still in that location where you died and you come back there, there'll probably be the same location, right? Because someone's been keeping that level loaded the entire time. But if not, then you will see a brand new run every time you die. And the deeper you explore into the game as well, the more and more likely it is that that will happen because obviously the the further you are in the game, the less people are likely to be also that far into the game. Most players are kind of going to concentrate more towards the beginning. So the further you get, the harder it becomes and the more of like that true roguelike very difficult brand new run every single time experience you're gonna see now i have some um so some questions regarding um kind of your procedural generation so you're you're generating these uh levels and we would assume that some level of artificial intelligence is doing it right there's no yep. human that's <laughs> right. manually drawing the things some computer is making decisions no, they, have to a, build they got these... a dedicated guy who just yeah there's a, a dedicated <laughs> little little gnome that sits and just doodles <laughs> it out real quick yeah um so you have some sort of ai that's kind of like generating these um from my interaction with artificial intelligence through uh work and pleasure sometimes ai is dumb yes. <laughs> so I, I imagine there's some level of teaching that you had to do to the ai and possibly guardrails that you had to institute as well to make sure that it didn't generate a level where you know like where there'd like be like no walls that like yeah. yeah like there's no path or there's like all just enemies like oops all enemies or oops all walls absolutely um that's a great question and that is a huge challenge with what we're doing i don't know of very many other games that are doing procedural generation as deeply as we are and uh -huh. as you said it's a huge problem that sometimes the computer can generate something that isn't correct and even even worse, this can happen, like, w once you've ironed out the obvious fixes, it can still happen in, like, 0.01% of cases that are really hard right. to find. Because, like, you'll you'll see it, someone will be like, oh, let me send you a picture of this level, this doesn't look right. And then you're like, well, okay, but how do I get it to generate that exact thing again to right. find the problem? So it is, it's a huge problem. And it, it has taken, probably I spent four months just on that, on training and like finding those corner cases, we have a lot of automated tests now, which we didn't have to start with that run regression on everything. Like anytime we change the level generation, we look for any failed case that ever happened in the past and make sure that that still can't happen and that those guardrails are still protecting. And, you know, even still, we sometimes find problems like it's a constant process and a constant evolution of of that those algorithms getting better and better. You know, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a difficult problem. And that's actually one of the first things that got me like rolling with this project and made me really excited is 
I didn't even think of like selling the game at that point, but I was just really interested in like making some algorithms that can procedurally generate levels instead of just right. like showing you pre-generated levels. Yeah, yeah. Did you expect when when you decided to become a video game designer, you'd be doing so much math? <laughs> it's it's always surprising to me what kinds of math and how much math you actually yeah. use. Like I'll talk to, you know, my friend is... Um, you know, going back to college right now and he's doing trig and stuff like that. And he's like, man, am I ever going to like, why am I learning this? I'm never going to use this. I use it every day. <laughs> I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that when I was learning it for the first time too, I'm like, I'm never going to need to know what a tangent is. But if you're making video games, you need to know what a tangent is and how, how it works. Or even like regression, that's like statistics right there, right? Oh, absolutely. You want to make sure that you're, you know, if you generate, you know, 100 levels, you want to make sure that you have like a, a 95 or 96 confidence that they're all right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can math to the answer, but it involves math courses that uh, I primarily uh, slept through, so... <laughs> Now with the with the procedural generation and the the level structure, are, is it like an endless uh, a maze of levels, if you would? Like, can you really go on forever if if you don't get killed? Yeah, you absolutely can. Um, it's similar to Minecraft in that way, where oh, okay. if you are just running in a direction, it will keep generating stuff in that direction. It might look a little bit similar to something you've seen before, but it won't be exactly the same. And the difficulty is designed to scale with that as well, which is something that Minecraft obviously doesn't do. So all of the puzzles, all of the enemies, bosses are are supposed to scale smoothly and the gear that you're getting as well as you go out and out and out, which itself is definitely a big challenge. Um, I think that a lot of games also don't face with balancing gear in a context that is completely infinite. So that's that's taken some time. And obviously, after launch, we'll still continue to constantly balance. But yes, short answer to your question is, yeah, you can explore as much as you want, and it will keep generating levels for you. And the great thing is they're not they like they never repeat. So you just keep seeing brand new stuff. Are there like triggers that make sure that if you go through X number of rooms, you'll see a boss or you'll see something like that? Or is that just all part of rolling the dice? Good question. That's So what we did is that we broke up the world into what we're calling domains. It's kind of like a biome. So whenever you come into a new biome, you basically have a, a limited set of objectives that you want to complete there. And I think that's one of the things that people really like about roguelike games is you could kind of do a run in an hour and then put it back down. So we wanted to make sure we preserve that experience even with like making this massive world. And that's what the, the domain allows us to do, like putting the self-contained objective that could probably be completed in an hour or less that you can try out. If you die, you know, try that, that domain again tomorrow. If you succeed, unlock a new one and maybe put it down and, and try that one that you've unlocked tomorrow. Back to your question, the each domain has um, one boss, which starts out in a locked room and you have to like solve some puzzles, find a key in order to get in and then um, beat the boss of that domain. And that's what unlocks the next area for you to continue going outward. Now, I want to step back a little bit to talk about more of the overall um, brand of the game. Uh, so you, it's it's called Mythic. And how did you guys decide on naming it Mythic? Was it your first decision? Was it just kind of iteration on it? Like, where is the where is the inspiration coming from for Mythic? There were definitely a couple names we threw around, but Mythic was one that jumped out at us pretty early on. And then I think there were like maybe three that we were brainstorming and um, the other two were kind of didn't quite fit with what we wanted to 
do or were like there was already another game by that name or something sure, right, sure. Yeah. what i like about mythic is it really represents for me that feeling that i got when playing mmos as a kid where like the the internet wasn't as prevalent there weren't like all these guides it wasn't as easy to just like look up okay what's the best gear in the game so sometimes you would like see people with some gear that you've like never seen You're like whoa like what is that how do you even get that that's so like it was it was literally like legendary not in the sense of a legendary item that yeah. so many games claim to be but it was like you would you would go to school and like tell your friends like dude i saw this item last night and i like i don't, I don't know where this guy got it but it was so crazy and i wanted to capture that feeling again so that's part of what inspired me to make the game and part of the way that we do that is we have items in the game that have really unique and powerful effects that are like highly visible to the people around you that only a few people can get so like maybe five, five people at a time in the game can have it so it literally is like i want to create something that is literally mythic like people might not even be sure that this exists until they randomly see someone with it one day and then they might never see it again you know something to really strive for where like the best players in the game even if you are one of the best players in the game you might not have all the same gear as the other best players in the game there's not like it's not possible for everyone to get everything and um, you're going to have to explore and find like really unique and crazy items for yourself that not everyone else has and they may have some items you don't have and you may have some items they don't have and um, yeah, that diversity and that feeling of like legend is what the name Mythic inspires for me. So with the idea for the game, you talked about that you were inspired by roguelikes and other MMOs. Is there anything in particular, like any game in particular that really drove Mythic's um, design? Like when you went into Mythic, you were like, I want this game to be like this, but my way sort of deal. I mean, I think there are a lot. So it's it's hard. Um, it's hard to name just one. I think some of the big ones are, you know, you mentioned roguelikes. So some of the big ones in terms of roguelikes are like Hades, like the original rogue or like Rogue Legacy. Yeah, yeah. And then even though Zelda is not a roguelike per se we did draw a lot of inspiration from that in terms of like the puzzles and things like that that we have in the game so if you look at something like hades there's not really like you're, you're not really engaging your mind as much to like solve a right a, a yeah. specific you know move a thing in a specific way that lets you pass so we wanted to include that and that that definitely is inspired by like zelda and some other games and then i i played like a lot of runescape when i was younger so that's kind of maybe the biggest like mmo inspiration although i've played i mean i've played every mmo so a, a lot of a lot of games inspired yeah, me, yeah for sure yeah. that's very cool uh, i i definitely got like an old mud vibe like multi-user yeah vibe yeah when I, was, when I first when i first heard it when i first saw it at pax because i don't know if seth Seth hasn't mentioned this yet, but we saw Mythic be oh, demoed right. at PAX. And PAX was very long ago. PAX was very long ago. It's a yes. whole other life ago. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I remember like the first feeling I got was playing an old multi-user dungeon, like ASCII-style artwork. But like taking that ASCII-style artwork and putting graphics over it sort of deal, you know, giving this this modern or retro-modern yeah. coat of paint, which I feel like is what Mythic is going for. That's exactly what we're going for, yeah. I actually described the game to my wife as, I was like, it's like Legends of Zelda. From, like, top-down perspective type of, you know, you have this, the sword interaction where you're, like, just swinging the sword into the enemies, which is very Legends of Zelda-like. So we talked about the game, but what about you? Uh, so, Nick, how did you get into video game design? Because uh, Abyssal Studios, is this, is this their first game? Yeah, this 
this is our first game. So I have been writing code in some form or another since I was basically 13, you know, almost coming up on 20 years, basically. And I, for the most part, was working just in the corporate environment, you know, like making right. websites or applications. I wasn't really in the gaming space as a job, but I was always playing video games that entire time, obviously, and working on a lot of games just on my own. Like, I mean, none of them have been published, but I made many, many, many like side projects. And I would always come up against this, like, I would have a really cool concept, I would implement it, and then I would come up against this wall where it's like, okay, now you need to do production quality menus, like banner art, you need to get it on the app store. And it's like, all of that stuff takes a lot of time and money. And I wasn't confident enough or ready to commit to that step and um mythic started out the same way where i just had like a really cool idea in my mind that i wanted to explore and i got to the point where i had done everything that i could do without like you know investing my savings in it and and i said you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna take this one and and see how far i can take it if i can go all the way and actually release it and see if people like it i, I want to do that once you know so we did and it's been you know two years since then and a, a lot of money and a lot of time but right. this is basically the first project that I've ever taken to this level and and released. And I'm really deeply excited and thankful for all the people who have already played and, and are enjoying the game and all the feedback we've gotten. It's been it's been incredible. This is the first game that I've ever released. And I, same for my partner who's not here today. This is our first foray into like doing this for real. And so you mentioned uh, your business partner, Arjun. And so he's the other side of Abyssal Studios. So you're you're on the development side and he's just the sales guy. <laughs> is that how it works? Or? Yeah, he, he does a lot. He does a a lot of like marketing stuff a lot of sales stuff well actually he designed by hand all of the oh cool like we have a few levels that aren't procedural just in the starter area to get people right. like into the game and he he hand designed all those he works a lot on testing and on game balance and on community building but yeah in terms of development it's it's just me I think that sometimes it's actually pretty helpful um, when things are siloed in that way almost. So like you have a vision of how you are going to develop the game and you're going to go a certain way to do it. And I feel like if you had other people who were like also getting in there and messing with your code. True. Yeah, that's definitely true. And, and Arjun has a lot of thoughts on like things that we should add to the game and he definitely has a lot of input and a very oh yeah yeah influential voice when it comes to like how we can change the game and make it better and make it more fun what we can add what we can take away but i do agree it's really really helpful to have separate areas of responsibility in some sense. I mean, when we were at PAX, we saw all these other indie studios in the indie area, and they, they are indie studios. They really right. are, but they have like 20, 30 people. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we have two. I already work like 12 hours a day every day, including weekends, and I love it. It's not complain at all, but I do not have time to deal with the emails that like Steam sends us like, hey, you need to do this thing in order to be approved for like this event that we're having. And I, I, I literally cannot even begin to touch that. So I'm so deeply thankful that he shields me from everything even vaguely related to, to that kind of stuff. And it also, uh, having somebody who is not entrenched 
in he can give you honest feedback right because he's at the end of the day like going through your product it's good to have um a second set of eyes on something it really is because when you're deep in it and you guys probably know this as like content creators it it gets to a certain point where you've like spent so much time making the thing that then Mm. you like listen to it or look at it after the fact and you're like man you know i don't like it's hard for me to evaluate this i'm too close to it and he definitely has helped many times with that like one really funny story from when we were very early i mean this is like two years ago but um the game was very 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 pre-alpha and uh we were working on it he had kind of just joined the project and i like i said i'm I'm very like i play it every day i develop it every day i'm just used to some of the negative aspects of it that i don't see them anymore and he goes man this this feels like a little bit choppy to me i'm like really no i don't think it's choppy he's like yeah the like rendering is a little choppy and so i looked into it and Turns out the game was just like had been running on 15 FPS for like the entire first year of development. And I just like got used to it to the point where I didn't see it anymore. But he was absolutely right. It was horribly choppy. And of course, we we fixed it. But you're like, no, this is how it is. I was like, no, what are you talking about? It's great. Why are you being critical of my project? And then I looked into it. Yeah, you just had to blink your eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Just blink your eyes really fast. Just flick your eyes so that it's the frames go in. Oh, man. That's that's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, no, it's good to have somebody like that. Yeah, so you, you guys were at PAX. You guys did have a booth, which is which is good, right? I we mean, did, yeah. It was it, it was a blast. I had actually never been to PAX before that. No? I'd always yeah. wanted to go to PAX. Oh, PAX is like fun. The first time going as an exhibitor was probably a lot to handle, but it was, it was a blast. It definitely was probably a good lead-in year for you because it was definitely not as big of a show as it has been in the past because of the pandemic. Yeah, I I heard a lot of other exhibitors talking about how it was so much smaller than other years, and I'm just sitting here with, like, wide eyes like, this (laughs) This is is huge! What are you talking about? Back to your guys game for a bit mythic so you are planning to have it be uh effectively like an mmo with all these different players and stuff one of the questions i think that comes to mind is what is your plan to encourage players to interact with the game but in a kind of controlled manner um so it's not they're just all running amok (laughs) and causing chaos yeah it's an interesting problem because if you play other games like wow or something you know like how bad griefing can be from people who can just attack you so we wanted to make sure that that is limited there are ways that people can kill each other but not through just direct pvp so you can't like you can't just go up to someone and attack them with your sword and kill them like for example if you have the highest level gear (laughs) you can't you can't just come back and bully people in the starting zone but there's a lot of like environmental traps and puzzles and things that you that are kind of shared that you can interact with and use to harm other players if you want to the good thing about that is that they can also so stay away from those things if they see other players around, especially players that they think might be hostile. So it's it's a bit more, yeah, maybe there's a chest behind these spike traps and the this guy is trying to trigger them on me. So it sucks to give up on the chest, but at least I, I can make that decision instead of being kind of spawn killed or something. And then we also have like certain resources which are limited. So right now, um, the boss keys is the biggest example of that. So if you find a boss key outside of the starter area, the starter area kind of anyone can grab it but any other boss key is a shared resource so if someone else has taken that then you have to either find another or wait for them to die with it at which point it will kind of come back so those are some of the ways where we where we have created player interactions but like you said in a a controlled way 
Yeah, griefing is always not, it's not always good, but you also want your players to have fun, right? So even there's kind of a, I think, a balance between griefing and also just letting people goof off, which, uh, yeah, which I I think that's good. Yeah, I totally agree. Now, so you mentioned like a boss key, right? So I'm guessing in my mind, a boss key would then go and open a boss door to let me in to fight the boss if i am in the party of somebody with a boss key can i go with them through the boss key door you can there's like a little safe area right in front of every boss door and anyone in your party who's in that safe area with you when you go in the boss just comes with you and then you can face any boss with as many or as few people as you want we've designed like i said the content scales up in difficulty as you go out and the content also scales up in difficulty to the number of people you have in your party so as someone who plays like i said i've played basically every MMO and as someone who also is typically the person in my friend group who like plays more than my other friends like I'll be the one up at 5 a.m grinding right I really don't like it where MMOs will have some content that you must have 40 people with you to beat so it was really important to me that all the bosses are difficult but achievable with one or 40 people yeah i like that because one of my problems with mmos has historically been i don't like playing games with other people i don't know (laughs) Um, yeah but like seriously like when i first played like a game like destiny uh or destiny 2 rather because that's the one i uh, played a bit of i uh, actively avoided quests that were like you have to have an extra person like or it's highly recommended you play with more than one person for this mission i was like i don't want to do that <laughs> like i just want to go through and do it myself yeah i completely agree it's so funny that like i love mmos when that's also like mmo is my favorite type of game but i also am the kind of person who doesn't want to play with strangers which is yeah just yeah yeah a little bit counterintuitive but yeah i don't mind playing with people i know like seth and i played old republic a while ago i played played star trek online with a good friend of mine but like once once i'm put into it by myself i'm like i don't want to talk to other people (laughs) same i think i'm more serious when i play games by myself though whenever i play games with friends i tend to um not be serious and i tend to um dick around a lot so mmos always lead me to being like making the worst decisions for the group (laughs) but if i play the mmo by myself i'm very serious and i like go through it and i'm like oh i gotta role play my character the appropriate way there's just something irresistible about messing with your friends yeah yeah so i i actually have a question regarding how the mmo aspect works for the demo you guys have two different servers you have a north america server and a european server and those servers are are computers that have the games running on it that you then join how does that how does that work technically well i mean we use we use a server hosting but yeah it's a computer you know yeah, we don't yeah. we don't physically have the computer but it's a computer that the game is running on and 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 you join we want to have as few servers as possible because sure. we want as many people as possible kind mm-hmm. of in the same space to make it feel like an MMO. But obviously ping becomes a pretty big issue. So we have to have, I think realistically we'll have to have three. I think we'll have to add an Asian server, but I would like to not go above that. And I would like to also do a lot of improvements. Like right now, once you join one, you're kind of, they're completely siloed from each other right now. What I would really like is that you could have a character and then you could just like go to either one. Um, and have some shared like information about your character, some shared information about like leaderboards and things like that. So we have some improvements to do there for sure. But at the core, it's basically just 
two different instances of the game that you can connect to, to one or the other and make a character in one or the other. And so then when you do work on your game, you're doing work locally, and then you essentially flash it to these remote computers? Yeah, we have, um, not to get too technical, but mm-hmm. on, on GitHub, we have like a runner which builds the code in the cloud runs all the automated tests and then we basically have one step that performs locally that deploys the code to actually three different environments that are in the cloud because we have an internal environment right, for right, testing right. as well and then um same thing for like deploying because we we have multiple platforms that we deploy the client through as well like we're on itch.io and steam right now and probably a few more soon so same thing the build runs in the cloud and then basically one step happens locally that that deploys that build up to all the different places where it's needed to be. Uh, that actually is a, a pretty good segue into, so you mentioned that you're on Steam and they, people could find you by looking up uh, Mythic or the, the demo was Mythic Origins. Mythic Origins, yeah. Uh, so if you look up Mythic Origins, you could download the demo, which is, as demos should be, free. And then, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mythic will be available to purchase in... Uh, on August 24th and it, that's on Steam and then on itch.io itch.io are you so you mentioned that you're planning on getting onto other platforms are you going to primarily stay on PC platforms is there thoughts about porting to like a switch or something that um, another like um, console version of it as well or I really want to be on consoles I think that yeah. I think that this game would play really nicely on consoles just the way that it is mm-hmm. um, so we're already talking to Microsoft to figure out what the process looks like to get on xbox and um and also the also like maybe game pass Mm. for pc and then i definitely want to be on playstation and switch as well already compatible with the steam deck and basically yeah i want to be i want to be on every platform you tell me a platform i haven't heard of i will tell you great i'm gonna get on it we we will have seamless crossplay we already have seamless crossplay because unlike um a lot of other games we aren't like running our servers through steam or anything they're completely separate so whenever you're connecting like if you if you download the game through itch.io if you download the game through steam if you download the game through anywhere else that we put it you're connecting to the same server and you can play with your friends it doesn't matter if you like bought the game on a different platform nice that's awesome i i was i was playing mythic on uh the steam deck and it is it is not verified yet at least the origins demo is not verified but i think it's still learning about your game or something but uh it it works great it works fine i had no issues with controlling i had no issues with like it actually i kind of fit the steam deck the way that it's there's like a series of games that i would play on my steam deck and mythic is one of them um now earlier you mentioned that when it comes to player interaction there isn't pvp is that something that you would consider looking into like a pvp arena so that you could see like how many people you can shove into one section to just start wailing on each other for a bit (laughs) i've definitely thought about it and it sounds really cool um the closest we've come is like some streamer brought like 15 people in to fight the boss and that was absolute chaos (laughs) i can imagine (laughs) like it does a certain laser attack that like lasers every person so i never really envisioned i mean i knew people could bring 15 people but i never saw it before and when it's laser again 15 people becomes very hard to avoid yeah no but pvp is definitely something i've thought of i think that there will be some significant challenges with game balance i know like other games like path of exile had this pretty big problem where they tried to add pvp later on and it was like okay 
okay. I mean, you can add it, but the game was never originally designed with that in mind. So certain builds are just like absurdly broken because they were, they, they never thought about what is this build going to do when you do it to a person. Right. I think PVP long-term, like in the next one or two years is something that we will add in some form, whether it's like dual or an arena or something, um, you know, no promises, but I think so. But I also think there's a lot of work to do to get the system which was balanced around a PvE game to work in a PvP context. Well, who knows? It could be like Fortnite that started as a PvE game. And True. And they, they introduced PvP kind of late stage, and now look at it, you know? Like, who, who plays the PvE anymore? <laughs> so your game will be out soon, August 24th. I'm sure you're excited about the about launch. Do you have an idea of what your pricing is going to be for people to buy the game yeah i do um i think that it will be between 15 and 20 dollars definitely i'm yeah. leaning towards 15 and we'll we'll do a small launch discount for people who buy it during the nice. first couple of weeks very cool i think that's actually one of the the joys of an indie dev game as well um is that they yeah. generally don't have a lot of you're not necessarily i mean i guess you could but you, you're not spending 70 dollars now was, i think what's that that's the new smsrp for like a game done by like ea right. you're right. spending 70 dollars to get whatever the latest newest uh call of duty or whatever you're buying a game from ea as well so like if anything is wrong with it good luck ever seeing it fixed yeah right exactly but it's you're paying 69.99 and that's just for the standard now like standard 69.99 and then you want to get the collector's edition or the legendary edition you're looking at like a hundred dollars for a single video game and as long as we're on the topic of price i should mention because you're talking about like collector's editions and stuff which really make me angry by the way but (laughs) we are really committed to our hatred of gameplay affecting microtransactions mm-hmm. as as many gamers are and many gaming companies are not so we we will never offer a gameplay affecting microtransaction it'll be fifteen dollars um, maybe we'll have like a skin in the future that doesn't do anything but the point is yeah. if, if you pay fifteen dollars you will never have to pay more in order to compete play do whatever you want to do in the game that's it i'm i'm really really sick of the like I don't know. You hear about like the new Diablo Immortal and it really certain things that are going on in the industry just I'll just say it makes me angry and I'll leave it at that. But that will not be us. I, I like to pay for a game and have the game. <laughs> you know, I don't like to pay for a game and then find out like three years later I needed to buy the DLC to play the full game. Yeah, there's nothing more frustrating, especially in an MMO or a multiplayer yeah. game, than like spending your days, spending your weeks grinding and like getting better and building your character and then like walking up next to some dude who has spent two days but has also spent right. $10,000 right. and is better than you. There's nothing worse. Are you thinking about possibly doing, if you go to like consoles or even with PC, doing like a a physical release of the game so like if you go to switch doing a physical switch release or something like that yeah i mean i think i I, we've thought about it but it's a little bit far off so we just haven't like firmly really landed on any plans to that effect i do think the pricing model will probably have to be different on some other platforms just to and again i haven't looked into it really at all to, to say like different in what way but yes we've we've talked about it but no no hard plans Nice. That's fun. So beyond Mythic, which I'm sure you've been playing a lot, uh, what else have you been playing recently that you've been you've been enjoying? Yeah, it's a great question. I, <laughs> you know, I don't have a lot of time right now, right. but I, I do always go back to Hades because it's just like a great game that you can easily play for half an hour and, and get something done 
and not need yeah. to like commit i recently like a few months ago but i was playing the risk of rain expansion and um yeah that's that's basically it i mean i spend a lot of time working these days how about you guys what have i been recently playing i've been going through Baldur's gate 2 on the switch which is fun nice it's yeah i've beaten the game many a times but this is the first time i'm playing a character who i've brought through from the i started the character in the first game so i've been playing this particular iteration of the game i want to say for what probably two years at least a year and a half now right zach or a while i've been playing it for at least a year i've been playing this one iteration of the game i don't play it regularly which is why i'm very slow playing through it but uh yeah i started the character in the first Baldur's gate and i made my way through the expansion siege of dragon spear which beanbog did part of the enhanced edition and now i'm into Baldur's gate 2 finally so i have i just started Baldur's gate 2 but I'm already very wealthy because of an exploit and <laughs> I am well on my way or well. And then I have to get through the Baldur's Gate 2. I'm in chapter two. Uh, and then I have to go into Throne of Ball. Yes. If you would ever like to know how to exploit Baldur's Gate, it's called first getting a thief and then giving them three potions of potion of master thievery, which is available at the first shopkeep. That puts your pickpocket up to 185% if you're using the thief that you find in the first dungeon. And we you have 185 pickpocket you could go steal from every merchant without with impunity (laughs) Uh, so then you go through and you have about three hours of in-game time so you can speedily through to go through all to the merchants that are able to be stolen from you steal from all of the merchants whatever you need preferably spells for your wizards so that you steal pretty much mm, pretty much all the spells you'll need for the first game and (laughs) you (laughs) use those spells uh, have them learn everything and then find the fence in the docks district and sell all the remaining scrolls which will get you about 20 to like twenty-two thousand gold if you do it nice. right uh, you can steal magic items really if the game didn't want you to steal it wouldn't give you the ability to steal that's all i gotta say so uh, and if it didn't want me to buy th- three potions of master thievery they wouldn't put it in the first shop so it just tells you that that's how they want you to play it's not an exploit it's sounds like you have your defense very well prepared yes yes which i respect well so I'm, I'm sad because I'm on the Switch and I'm used to playing the game on the PC and as a child and as an adult, I would just cheat. So I would just <laughs> enter into the console and I would just activate all of the cheats and then when I wanted infinite amount of money, I would just give it to myself. The the best story I have about cheating is uh, my dad and I used to play Age of Empires, like one of the first games that I ever played and um, there was a cheat called Big Daddy, which would just give you a car with a rocket launcher yes. on it. And like, it's, oh, yeah. you know, it's Age of Empires. So like everyone has like, they're like swordsmen and you have a car with a rocket launcher yeah. on it that one shots everything. Uh, but the problem was that there's priests in the game which can convert your units. So yes, we were really yeah. stupid <laughs> and we accidentally let our cheated car get converted no. and it one shots everything. And the AI is very fast at using yeah. it. So we, we, we spawned like 200 more cars, but it killed them all because it would just like run and shoot them and run away and we we couldn't beat our own cheated car and we had to throw away the game we had to like quit and start a new one there's a it's a star wars game but it's literally just an age of empires reskin called galactic battlegrounds and there's a similar cheat uh, called That's No Moon, and it st- spawns the Death Star. All the Death Star has to do is fire once, and the entire enemy base will just get wiped off the face of the map. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's excellent. Zach, what about what about you? What have you been playing? Um been playing a lot of Mario 3 ROM hacks. Um specifically Mario 3 Mix, which is a really comprehensive uh ROM hack that adds all new levels, new abilities, uh, and the ability to play as either Luigi or Toad, which is fun. And uh yeah, I just was in the mood to play some Mario 3 ROM hacks, so I've just been playing those. Nice. nice. That's fun. Yeah. So that's going to be our, our Indie Dev Lounge episode here. Um, we want to um, thank Nick for uh, coming on and, and yeah. having a, regaling us with stories of his upcoming uh, his upcoming game. Um, I imagine at the time of release, Nick is actually more frantically busy than he is right now. Uh, <laughs> I imagine so. Um, so. No, thank you guys. I, I really, really enjoyed it and really appreciate the opportunity to come on and chat yeah. with you guys. It was a blast. Of course. So, um, Nick, do you want to remind everyone where they can find you, your company, and your game? Yeah, absolutely. So, you can look up mythic on steam or mythic origins if you want to download and try it right now and if you want to come hang out and join the community discord.gg slash mythic game is the place to be and for the podcast where you can follow our socials on facebook instagram and twitch at classic gaming brothers and our twitter is cg brothers pod uh, <laughs> if you want to contact us to tell us how great we all are including nick you can send us an email to classic gaming brothers at gmail.com and we will send uh, your your love of Nick to him, and we'll just send it right along. And if you want to be able to listen to the show, uh, you can just search for us on wherever uh, podcasts are available, and we will probably be there. Zach, am I forgetting anything? Yeah, don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. Don't play games like either brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. I'm Nick. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers and, and Nick. Nick. That's, That's right. right.